Hey, uh, big week, Labor Day weekend, all right? You got the day off tomorrow, hopefully. No, sorry, I'm sorry, I do. Anyway, um, no, uh, hey, a couple things, uh, and, then, uh, and then Scott's gonna come up and, and teach us. Uh, I started to say for the last time, but the, my deal with Scott is that the only way I'll release him to another team is if he comes back and teaches on a regular basis, right? So that's the deal, okay? But uh, hey, a couple of things. First of all, a week from this moment, we launched our fourth campus down in Aurora. And right now they're having their soft launch, like their practice run. And so they, you can't hear them, but they can hear you. So will you just encourage them down there at Cherokee Trail High School? It's so cool. So, so if, uh, if you have friends that live on the southeastern part of the Denver area, something like that, Cherokee Trail High School at 9 and 11 next weekend, uh, you can do that. Hey, hey before we, uh, we go on with our service, this is uh, like a national day of prayer uh, for the hurricane victims down on the coast. And so um, we're going we're to take a time out here and pray. Uh, I've gotten a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls coming to the church going, what's Flatirons doing uh, to help in the relief efforts down there? We've partnered with an organization called Convoy of Hope. And you can get on your phone right now, convoyofhope.org. It's the same uh, organization we partnered with back in the Boko flat, floods back in 2000. 13, so we really, really, really trust them. Uh, so this week, uh, Flatters, we, we wrote a check for $50,000 and sent it in their direction. And uh, we really trust them. So there are good organizations and bad organizations out there. Uh, and you, if you know of a good one, then give to it. But uh, uh, if you are looking for one, Convoy of Hope is a... Is, is the one that we trust. And then we're gonna keep in contact with them and see what needs are in the future. Later this uh, fall, I'm gonna be teaching on what we do with the money that you all give in the buckets and stuff at all of our campuses. This is one of those things. We don't have to take up a special offering every time something comes up because we've carved part of our giving out for things like this to take care of people in times like this. But it is a National Day of Prayer. Uh, let's, uh, will you stand up with me at all of our campuses listening right now? And we're gonna pray uh, for uh, people that we probably don't even know their names, uh, but maybe we have some connection to a family down there. And then uh, after that, we'll go on with our service. So let's just pray. So Lord, I, I come to you uh, uh, with a heavy heart. Um, and, you know, I just watched this from a thousand miles away, what's happening down there on, on the coast. And I see people's uh, uh, lives uh, just swept away by wind and water and waves. And they're just looking at the devastation that they used to call, that's, that's my life. Um, Lord, I'm gonna ask you to do what only you can do. And that is to reach into the mess of our lives, literal, figurative, spiritual, relational, whatever, will you reach in there and do what only you can do? Will you give hope? And will you give comfort? And will you give healing? And, and, and will you somehow use this, this, there's no other word for it, just this destructive evil thing that's happened. Will you do again what only you can do? Can you reach into that and somehow pull someone's heart towards you and, says, I, and say, I'm still here. This is, this is, this is not your life. Um, I, I can be your life. So God, all, all the things that the people are going, what am I gonna do? Somehow use that to turn towards you. God, I especially lift up families who, who lost somebody, they, their life uh, in, in this storm, um, or that people are missing and they don't know where people that they love are. I, I just pray again that you do what only you can do and bring uh, hope and peace and comfort to them in, in the middle of this, this storm that is their life. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask one other thing. I, I would ask that you would do something in the hearts of people that claim to follow you, that they would come together and they would love people and serve people like Jesus would serve. Because we can, we can pray in rooms like this, but we have to get up off our knees and go out, out of this room and give money and give service and give time and put our arms around people. Doesn't matter what race they are, what color they are, what religion they are, what gender they are, doesn't matter. They are image bearers of you. And because of that, we love them. 
And so we wanna take care of them the way that Jesus would take care of them. So raise up your church to be Jesus to people who really need Jesus with skin on right now. God, I thank you for being a church that, uh, that carves out part of our lives, part of our money to take care of people that we'll probably never meet, may, maybe in heaven, but, but take care of them here on, on this earth. So God, bring comfort and peace and healing uh, to people in, in the coast right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen? All right, go ahead and have a seat. Hey, just hey, for, amen just means, yeah, I agree with that. That's all it means, okay? It's like a religious word. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. Good. All right, praise the Lord. All right, so anyway. Hey, so, uh, so uh, this is, uh, so some of you here for the first time going, what's going on? Who's Scott? Okay, hang, wait, all right? So, so for the last 11 years, Scott has uh, kind of been my partner in crime, ministry, whatever you want. Uh, he's been the teaching pastor here for a long time. Uh, uh, he came out here just a couple months after I came out from Kentucky. And then a couple weeks ago, he revealed that, that God has, uh, is really leading his family. He's going to unpack that with you here in a minute. But he's gonna, is leading his family back uh, to, uh, to, to the church that we came from together uh, 11 years ago. Um, so uh, Scott's going to come up here and, and, and teach us uh, what, what God's put on his heart. And, and we're going to honor him. So, so here's, here's the thing. All right, so before we honor him, I'm going to show you a video of some of his highlights lights and low lives over the last 11 years. So before we honor you, buddy, we're going to dishonor you a little bit. And because uh, that's what we do at Flatirons, all right? But, but as soon as this video is, is over, Flatirons at all of our campuses, uh, will you just, uh, when the video's over, just pay homage and welcome Scott to the stage this last time, okay? So here we go. And I'd like you to put your hands together and give a great welcome to Scott Nichols. that rush of total surrender you see when Jesus was teaching on the Holy Spirit the last year when Jesus when Jim was teaching on the Holy Spirit <laughs> remember Jeffrey Dahmer horrible serial killer killed kids cannibal I mean just atrocious person but based on all reports he became a follower of Jesus before he was murdered in heaven <laughs> Any volunteers that think they could knock me down right now? Somebody might want to step up and on some miraculous level, if you could even do that, what would happen? Well, these men would pick me right back up and then they would find you. <laughs> right? Listen, all of those things are good things. But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, ultimately that good thing becomes a destructive thing. The only ultimate thing is Jesus.
so much for all that you've done for me and my family. You've been such a great example to me. Thank you. You've helped us build a stronger marriage, and for that, we are very grateful to you. Thank you, Scott, for teaching me to give God my burdens and to trust Him. You've impacted our lives in ways that we can't even put to words. So we just simply want to say thank you. Your words just hit me right here. I'm going to miss you, man. Although we've never attended Flatirons in person, we keep up on the messages and are grateful for your teachings. I so much appreciated your message every week, um, your insight, your passion for what you teach us. And Jim, I really don't know what we're going to do without you. No, Jim, Jim's not leaving. Scott's leaving. Scott's leaving? Oh man, what a relief. Burlington, Colorado loves you, Scott! You've helped make me a better friend, a better husband, a better father, and a better spiritual leader in my household. When I was 21, I went to a sermon that you gave that weekend, and it uh, drastically changed my life. We never went to church. We weren't really church people. And then my sister from Boulder sent us a link of your podcast. And we haven't missed you in four years. We love it. Because of the work he did through you, I come before you today, a new creation and a spiritual leader of my family. I'm grateful for all that you have done. I thank you and I pray that God keep and bless you forever and for always. And finally, go Vandy, beat Kentucky. Uh, okay, everybody. <laughs> Let's try to remember, we've asked everybody to invite all their friends this Easter so that they can have a real experience with the real Jesus. Scott, what's your favorite video game? What is your favorite Do you have color? Dogs? How many of your kids are Where do you in go school? to college? What? Well, your tattoos mean. When were when was your first kid? Do you have any best friends yet? Do you do you like oh. you like the dogs? Alright, alright. <laughs> that is Flatiron's way of saying happy fing Easter right there. <laughs> work my magic while you drink damn coffee. All right. All right. Later. Love you. Bye. I still got to preach. I still got to preach. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, welcome to everybody across all campuses, everybody up at West and Denver and Aurora, especially. Awesome. Welcome to everybody across all campuses. You know, when I came out here 11 years ago, the idea of, you know, this little church that was meeting in a feed store, having four campuses across the front range while only, only God. And so it's been, it's been amazing. I love you all. And I've, I've told you that many times. Thanks so much for the the, the kind words these past several, several weeks, all the emails, all the notes, all the social media stuff, all the videos, all that kind of thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for me and my family. It's just been, you guys have been so, so great. And I'll never be able to respond to all of those in the chaos of moving across the country and everything. So from my heart to yours, thank you so much for all the encouragement. More than that, even uh, all the prayers. We really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, so... 
On Wednesday, August the 23rd, we, we packed up the car with all four kids and including the bulldog Fergie who proceeded to fart all the way across Kansas. And uh, she slept well, none of us did, but uh, we, we, we packed up the whole car and left on that Wednesday night after, after church. We let our older two kids go to middle school ministry here at the Lafayette campus for the, for the last time. And we've done this before, but I'm telling you, it was even more brutal this time. I mean, it's one thing to pick up your, your two babies who don't really have any friends when they're babies and stuff like that, moving from Kentucky to Colorado, but it's a whole nother experience to load up your car with your children and watch them as they say goodbye and hug and cry and do all the things that they, they were doing on that Wednesday night and then start heading east. And, you know, we stopped in Colby, Kansas, made it there. That is a place you don't want to be. And um, we, we made it to Kentucky in record time the, the, the next night. And I know that you know that I'm navigationally challenged and I tend to get lost a lot of places. And uh, thanks to the advent of navigational technology and my wife, we made it there without any kind of detour or anything like that. But when you're taking a road trip, when you're taking a journey, it's really important to know at least three things. Number one, you need to know where you are. You need to know where you're originating, where you're beginning. Number two, you need to know your destination. You need to know where you're going. And then number three, you need to know how in the world it is that you're going to go about getting there. You need to know how you're going to, how you're going to actually proceed in order to get to your, your, your destination. And so it's been, it's been a challenge because that road trip is kind of a metaphor for this journey that my family has been on. And on this journey, I've had to answer the same question to many different people, many different times. And that question is simple and it's valid. And the question is simply why? Why in the world would you pack up your family, leave all these people you love so much, leave this church that you love so much, leave this place that you love so much? Why in the world would you do that? And the, the interesting thing is this, it's, it's one thing to answer that question for adults because if you don't answer an adult's question adequately, most of the time they'll just move on. They'll just let you off the mat and move on. But when, when children ask you a question, if you don't answer it to their satisfaction, they will keep asking you the same question over and over and over again. And so my eight-year-old son, Silas, who's the one who's the most resistant to change, is the one who keeps asking me over and over and over again, Dad, why? Why are we doing this? Why, why in the world are we moving across the country? And I've tried my best to give him different versions of the same answer each time, which is, Silas, your mom and I, we really believe that this is what God is calling us to do. And the tricky part about that is I don't have any like, you know, burning bush to point to. I don't have writing on the wall to point to. I don't have a moment where the heavens parted and God audibly spoke to me. All I have is a set of circumstances to point to that lead us to believe that this is what God wants us to do. And that's, that's not a satisfactory answer to Silas. He, he doesn't have the level of clarity that I wish he had. And if I'm really honest, we don't have total clarity on everything. We don't have all the questions answered, but I do know this. If you're sitting around in your life waiting to move until you have total clarity, you will never move anywhere. You'll never take any steps because God doesn't always give us the total clarity that we so desire. Jim taught about this a few weeks ago. Even when he spoke to Abram, all he said was, go to the place that I will show you. And then he waited for Abram's obedience before he ever showed him the place that he was going to take him on that journey and so in life you have to be willing to obey God even if you don't have total absolute clarity that we so want and desire and this idea of discovering God's will for your life this this idea of just trying to understand what it is that God wants us to do and where he wants us to go and who he wants us to be around and all that kind of thing is probably in the top three questions that I've received in 17 years of being a pastor. People ask me all the time, how do, I, how do I find out God's will for my life? Like by a show of hands across all our campuses, how many of you at some point in your life, you've asked the question, is this God's will for my life? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we all wrestle with that question over and over and over again throughout our life. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, usually when people ask me those questions about how to discover God's will for their life, they're not asking me on really clear moral issues. Like, sometimes people will go, hey, are you sure that I'm not, I'm not allowed to murder my ex-husband? Like, you're positive. There's no, there's no loophole in there. There's no exception clause. Because let me tell you, no. And that's usually a pretty, that's a pretty easy answer. Like, no, you're not allowed to do that. I'm sorry. But most of the time, these questions about God's will, they surround things that are far less clear. They surround things like, you know, should I marry her? Should I take that job? Should I sell this? Should I go there? Whatever. How do I know where to go? And how do I know what to do? On this Last weekend of me teaching, I, I wanted to go to one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's found in my favorite book in the whole Bible, which is the book of Romans. So if you've got your Bibles with you, your phone, you can open it up there. We're just going to be looking at this one passage today in Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 33, and then we'll take it all the way through chapter 12, verse 2. And the first 10 and a half chapters of Romans are really dense, like it's really profound, it's really heavy, weighty, theological stuff. And I, I've always imagined that at the end of the writing those ten and a half chapters, the Apostle Paul kind of pushing himself back from his desk and kind of looking up to the heavens and then maybe even singing these words because they're really poetic. Look at this, Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And hang on to this next verse, this is key. For from him, and through him, and to him are how many things? All things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And that last part is so key. From him, and through him, and to him are not some things, not most things, but all things. This last spring, I walked a handful of our staff people through a class I, I taught on worldview. And the reality is we all have a worldview. We all have lenses through which we see the world. We all have a filter through which we perceive reality. And that's, that's foundational beliefs that we have, whether we can even articulate them or not, that lead to the behaviors that we exhibit in day-to-day -day life. And so a couple weeks ago, there was, a, uh, there was a, a solar eclipse. I don't know if you knew that or not. It was apparently a pretty big deal. On that day, actually, I had some other things going on. I had a moving company at my house. And so the solar eclipse had to take like a back seat to what was going on in, in my world and so we weren't very well prepared for the solar eclipse we didn't we didn't secure any of, of these things right here and I saw all kinds of pictures on social media of people staring uh, at the sun like lemmings wearing wearing these things and the middle school boy in me really wanted to be like um, on a rooftop somewhere with water balloons to hit people while they're just staring at the you know and but I didn't have the time to accomplish that um, but we didn't we didn't secure any of those what what we had were, were these anybody anybody use a cereal box all right, yeah, it was, it was not cool at all. It was, and I, my mom told me I was doing it wrong. I was standing in the backyard looking right at the sun through this thing. And she's like, no, you're doing it wrong. You're supposed to stand with your back to the sun. I'm like, this is so, so lame, you know? Um, but I was on this text thread with, with some different people. And some of the people were doing the cereal box thing like me. And we're all like, this is so lame. What was the big deal? And then there was people who had the real glasses and they were like, no, this is, this is so fascinating. This is so cool. And and they were right, because if you had the real eclipse glasses, you saw this pretty cool phenomenon, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty cool. If you had the cereal box like I had, you got to witness this. <laughs> Little sliver. That's not, it's not profound. It's not profound at all. And here's what I'm talking about. The way we view reality matters, because what was really going on was spectacular, you had to have the right filter. You had to have the right lenses in order to, in order to perceive it. 
And every worldview has to give an account. We all have a filter, we all have a worldview, whether we can articulate it or not, and that worldview must be able to answer several questions and hold up and give good answers to these questions. Questions like, where did I come from? Where did we originate? Questions like, and then what went wrong? Like, because it doesn't take a genius to survey the world and go, something's not right. Something's not right with me, something's not right with you, something's not right with us, something's not right with this planet, something's not right. So what happened? What went wrong? And then a worldview has to answer this question, how should we go about fixing that? Who can fix it? Who can repair it? Who can restore it? Who can redeem it? And then a worldview has to answer this question, where are we headed? What's the purpose of all this? Where are we going? Why are we here? You could sum it up this way. Every worldview must answer these three questions well. Where did I come from? Where am I going? And how do I get there? You might notice in Romans 11, 33 through 36, Paul answers all three of those questions. Where did we come from? From him. Where am I going? To him. How are we going to get there? Through him. I was listening to a, a podcast recently. I've heard this guy in a couple different, different interviews. His name's Robert Sapolsky, and he's a neuroscientist. And his, his belief is this. There's no such thing as free will, that we actually don't have any choices in life, that what we call free will, he says, is just undiscovered biology. He believes that we are all the sum total of our biology and that you were destined to do everything that you've done and you have no actual choices in life, right down to the color of the shirt that you chose to put on today. You didn't actually choose that. It's actually becoming a very popular belief. A really famous atheist named Sam Harris, if you've read some of his books or seen his podcasts or listened to him, he does debates all the time. This is what he's been teaching lately is there's actually no such thing as free will. And that's a worldview. And so that worldview has consequences. You might imagine what some of those consequences are. There, there is no God, so what you do doesn't matter. The only real God in that worldview is biology. So the questions get answered like this. Well, where did we come from? Primal sludge that somehow became your little girl. There's no such thing as soul or spirit or love. Those are all just synapses firing in our brain. They don't actually hold any, any meaning. Where are we going? Back to that. Back to primal sludge. Well, how do you get there? Oh, no problem, just wait to die. You don't have to do anything, just hang back. It's a real fatalistic worldview. Paul gives a very drastically different worldview in Romans 11. He gives us a much more profound worldview. He says, no, actually from him and through him and to him are all things. So when I try to explain to my eight-year-old son why we're moving across the country, the answer goes like this, because everything belongs to Jesus, Silas, including you including me and your mom and your family, including, including Flatirons, including Southland, including this entire world, this whole universe, everything belongs to Jesus. And our job while we're here on this earth for this short time that we're here is to obey him and leave the consequences to him, even when it's really, really hard, even when it's really, really difficult, even when it's really, really painful. And that is simple, but that is not easy, especially when you're staring into the eyes of your eight-year-old son. Jim told me to try to take this opportunity this weekend to remind Flatirons of some things that I, hopefully I've taught clearly and consistently over the years that really, really matter to me, and th this would be one of them. I hope you've heard me say clearly this, everything belongs to Jesus. Everything is his territory. There is no territory where Jesus goes, I'll just leave that to you. No, everything belongs to Jesus. He lays claim to everything, including, including you. So where did you come from? From your creator who loves you so much, who put you here for a purpose, and your life finds significance in living a life of obedience and faith and following after him, even when things are difficult, and even when things are hard. 
Where are you going? You're going back to him. God has done everything, including sending his one and only son for you to die for you, to take your punishment for you, to raise back to life so that he could remove the sting of death and the fear that we have of it and give us hope so that we could confidently walk into the future trusting that God wants good for us. And that's another thing I hope that I've left you with is that you can always know that God always has good intentions towards you, that God wants good for you in everything. In the big things and in the little things and everything in between. Psalm 1611 says it so well. You make known to me the path of life. In other words, this, this perception we have that we have to somehow crack the code of God's will or that God is hiding his will for us, that's not biblical. You make known to me the path of life. You've made it plain. Where do we find the path of life? Well, Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He made that plain. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. God wants us to be with him, and with him we find what our soul longs for, which is joy and satisfaction. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. God's not trying to take anything from you. God only wants to give to you because he's a good father. God doesn't overlook you, and God has never forgotten you. Those of you who know my proclivity towards leaving my children in various places around the front range, I'll be, I'll be happy to report to you that in our week, week and a half in Kentucky, I haven't left any of my children anywhere. I haven't. I did want to leave a couple of them at a truck stop in Kansas at one point, but I didn't. I didn't. God has never overlooked you. He's never walked out on you. He's never forgotten you, and he never will. So build your life on these fundamental truths that everything belongs to Jesus and that God always wants good for you even when you can't see how good would ever come out of that situation. Live your life through those lenses. And then the question goes, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? Romans 12, one through two tells us, look at this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in other words, in light of all those things he just said, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. An old preacher named Charles Spurgeon said it this way, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water than diminish the great mercy of God. What Paul is saying is see all of life through this filter, through these lenses, that God was not compelled by anything outside of himself to give us anything other than condemnation and punishment and shame, but what he did, but God, is a God of mercy. He didn't give us what we deserved. So live your life, live your life for him and through him and to him. Worship him in everything that you do because here's the reality that struck me this week as I was writing this You're gonna lay your life down on the altar of something. So it might as well be the right thing Your life will be lived For something for some purpose your life your time your energy your money your effort is being spent on something Or perhaps many things right now like if you survey your life you may go Scott I'm laying my life on this altar and this one and this one and this one and you spread really really thin And some of you may be going well I'm laying my life on this and this and this these three things or this one thing or these two things But the question becomes are you laying your life on the altar of the thing? the primary thing the most important thing the ultimate thing See, we are all worshipers, and worship is simply giving your life to something that you think is ultimate. Another thing that you've heard me say a million times is I believe that's why good things are such dangerous things, because when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, ultimately that good thing becomes a destructive thing. 
This recent journey that my family and I have been on has been a real test of that for me. Because man, I'm surrounded by good things. Flatirons is a good thing. Colorado's a good thing. Our friendships here are good things. Our, our life here was such a good thing. When I first started kind of wrestling with the idea of even considering leaving here, the things that hit me first were all I saw was faces. All I saw was relationships and people, people that I love and people I care about, people that my family's in relationship with that we love and that we care about. And also just the relative comfort that we were living here. We were so comfortable here. I'm, I'm the type of person who finds comfort in routine. And my routine was so well established around here. I was known everywhere I went. I, I, I got up at 4.40 every morning, went to my gym that I had a key to, worked out with people that I love that I've been working out with for almost a decade, then went to the office at 6.30 and hung out with people that I loved for, for over a decade, went home to hang out with people that I loved and carpooled with people that I loved and ate dinner with people that I loved and went to bed and did it again the next day. I found all kinds of comfort in the fact that everything was working really, really well around here, but that good thing could have easily become an ultimate thing in my life. And for some of you, that doesn't make sense at all. For others of you, that makes a lot of sense. Here's the reality for all of us. We're all surrounded by what I believe are dangerously good things. They're really, really good, but they cannot become ultimate things. They cannot be the thing that you seek to get your comfort out of. And so God in his grace has put me in a place right now where I'm no longer comfortable, way outside of my routine. I can't find comfort in all those things I just listed for you. And so I'm, I have a choice right now. Am I gonna try to find comfort in, in something other than God or do I go to God for comfort? Because 2 Corinthians says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, soon enough, I'll find a routine. Soon enough, we'll have a whole new network of people and relationships and all that stuff will start to fall into place. And it'll be in that moment where I'll be really tempted to go, thanks God, I've got it from here. Because now everything's well established and I can find my comfort in those things. I don't need you anymore. Here's another thing I hope I've left you with. Don't try to get from anyone or anything what you can only get from God. See, your wife, your husband is likely, probably, not always, but probably a good thing. But if you make them an ultimate thing, you'll destroy them. Your kids are a good thing, but they cannot be your ultimate thing. And if you make them the central focus of your life, the ultimate thing in your life, you'll actually destroy them and your relationship with them. Your job, your body, your education, your house, your money, those are all great things. They're good things. And these are the things that compete for our worship and our joy and our affection far more than any evil or bad or sinful things do. Which is why Paul says this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By, by definition, a sacrifice is gonna be difficult because it means to give up something that's important. Like, like Paul says, your body, which is his way of saying everything, your whole life. And lay it on the altar of something more important. Offer your whole life to something more important than yourself. Offer your whole life to God. Because your life is significant, it's important. And what you do, I'm here to tell you, is not just the sum total of your biology. Your decisions matter. Your decisions have ramifications. Your decisions have ripple effects further than you will ever know. What you do and how you spend your life matters. And ultimately, we find our significance in offering ourselves and everything we do to the most significant one in all of the universe. And that's our creator, our heavenly father, God of the universe. Which means this, that even the things that seem to be insignificant in our lives find their significance in God. 
The smallest things matter because the smallest things tell a story. The smallest things preach a sermon. The smallest things reveal what we believe to be true about God, what we believe to be true about ourselves, and what we believe to be true about others. Think about this. I, this happened to me the other day. I made a mess somewhere, and there was nobody around that saw me make the mess. And I was, I was busy. I was in a hurry. I needed to get back to what I was doing. I could have left that mess, and that would have told a story, right? I would have told a story about what I believe to be true about myself as relative to other people because somebody would have had to clean up the mess. And what I believe to be true about God, their creator. That's an easy one. Let's push further. There's that moment, right, where you have a computer in front of you and you have a choice and it seems harmless. It seems like it's not going to matter. Your husband's not going to know. Your wife's not going to know. It's not going to harm anyone. It's no big deal. Incorrect. That moment in front of that computer screen reveals what you believe to be true about yourself, what you believe to be true about the person that you've devoted yourself to, what you believe to be true about God and what you believe to be true about the people that you're going to be viewing on that screen. The little things communicate and reveal really big things. That house in the mountains is a good thing, but if it becomes an ultimate thing, it'll become a destructive thing. Baseball is a good thing, but listen to me. If you skip church all summer for baseball tournaments, that tells a story. That actually preaches a sermon to your children, and it's a very, very powerful sermon. It goes like this. Baseball is our God. We serve at the altar of your performance on a field. And I don't, I don't care if your son gets drafted as a 95-mile-per-hour throwing left-handed pitcher and makes millions and has a, a, a Hall of Fame career. What you're trying to get, what you're trying to extract out of your child's performance on a field, which is your identity and your joy and your satisfaction, you will never get. Some of the wealthiest people in the world are also the most sad people in the world, most unhappy people in the world. Solomon, perhaps the richest man who ever walked the face of the earth, said pursuing good things as ultimate things, he described it this way, it's like chasing after the wind. You'll never get hold of it. It will never deliver what you're out to get from it. See, we are all worshipers. We can't help it. We are always worshiping with everything we do. We're telling a story. We're demonstrating with what we do who or what is ultimate to us. So Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't worship at the altar that the world worships at. Don't value the things as ultimate things that the world values. Don't be conformed. And all you have to do to conform is simply nothing. Be passive. It's like erosion. It will just happen. You will give in to the constant patterns of sameness, the boring patterns that this world prescribes if you don't work actively against being conformed to the patterns of this world. And Paul says how to do that. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that word transformed is where we get our word metamorphosis from. It describes this process by which this kind of this grotesque, ugly thing, right, becomes this uniquely beautiful thing. It's a process, and it happens in a specific way, by the renewal of your mind, which means this, right thinking leads to transformational living. What you think matters. How you think matters. Wrong behaviors originate with wrong thoughts. Right behaviors originate with right thoughts. So let's go back to those questions. Let me ask you, what do you think? Where did you come from? What do you think? Your answer matters. Where are you going? Where are you headed? What's your purpose in life? Why are you here? What do you think? It matters. How are you gonna get there? Who will sustain you? Who will enable you? Who will empower you? Who will fuel you? What do you think? Because it matters. And here's the answer that Paul gives from him and through him and to him. 
are all things. This is profound. Guess what all things includes? You and me. So when you think correctly, your actions will line up with your thoughts, and then you'll be able to do what Paul says next, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That's what we all want. That's what we're all chasing. What's the will of God? Well, by testing, you'll be able to discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Literally, you'll have the right worldview. You'll have the right filter, the right lenses in place so that you can Know the answer to those questions. Should I take this job? Should I marry her? Should I move across the country? Should I clean up this mess? Should I watch that video? Should I walk into this place? Should I leave this place? Should I go home? Should I stay? All of life actually gets simplified through the right lenses of by him, through him, to him are all things. We start thinking correctly. And then it just becomes an issue of obedience. It's really simple, (laughs) not easy, But it's simple. Am I going to do what I know is right and good and true and beautiful? Or am I going to choose to do something that I know is the opposite of all of those things? And if you're like me, you choose the wrong thing all the time. We all mess up. We all make choices that and make and and do things that reveal that we're being selfish, that we're just after our own thing, that we're not willing to line our behaviors up with the things that we know to be right and true and good and beautiful. And it reveals itself oftentimes in stressful situations. I mean, you want a formula for having to say you're sorry a lot? Put your family in two out of three of the most stressful situations you can put your family in. I mean, the three top things are like uh, moving, uh, going to a new job or a new school, and having a baby. We're doing two, definitely not all three of those right now, all right? <laughs> fad, the, fad the babies. We're, we're moving on. It's created an opportunity in the midst of all the anxiety and the stress and the difficulty of doing two out of those three things to say I'm sorry to my kids and to my wife a lot and to give each other patience and to give each other grace. It just reveals that we're still works in progress. We're in process. We're in that metamorphosis. And that's why I'm thankful for grace. I'm really thankful for grace. And God wants good for us more than we even want good for ourselves God has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. And the thing that I've been teaching you a lot lately is one of the things I want to leave you with, that God's grace is not always gentle, but it's always what? Good. It's always good. We've seen hurricanes in the news lately, and we'll see hurricanes in the news some more. And one of the things that hurricanes does is they move things, not gently either. The difference between God's grace and a hurricane is God's grace is not accidental, it's not haphazard, and it's not harmful, but it does move us, and not always gently. And for me right now, my family, God's grace has moved us across the country, and it's been difficult, and it's not been gentle, but it's been absolutely 100% good. And that's why Paul says, to him be the glory forever, amen. He gets all the credit, all the glory goes to him. The thing that reveals God's glory the most, I've told you this so many times, the apex of his glory is his grace. You wanna know about our God? He's a God of grace. He's a God that gave us a reward when what we deserved was punishment. And I've wondered over the past few weeks what this moment would be like and what I would say. What profound thing could I leave you with? And the answer is I don't have anything for you. My words are okay. They'll fade. Scott Nichols' words will fade. The word of God is eternal. 
And so if you want to know my heart for you, they're found in these words from Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, Father God, you are glorious. And your glory is revealed in your grace and your mercy and your love to us so clearly. So Father, my, my prayer uh, to for Flatirons Community Church is that this church will continue to be known as a church that has the same attitude as your son Christ Jesus, that will serve, that will be humble, that will love one another, and that will elevate the name of Jesus everywhere, all around this earth, that this church will continue to be known as a church that loves Jesus with reckless abandon, and Father, it's been my honor and my joy and my privilege to be a part of it for all these years. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab a seat real quick. Um, so I was listening to you four times. Here's what I've learned. One is uh, you talk faster than you did 11 years ago. You're welcome. Uh, and the other thing is if I would have screwed up your comfort level, you'd still be here. And I, I can still do that. Uh, no, um, so this is my, I'm going to hold, hold it together. Uh, so um, this is my friend uh, and my pastor. And my teacher, uh, he married both my children. (sighs) 
and I'm going to miss him a lot. Um, he's changed a lot of our lives. Did he touch your life? Anybody? Did he touch your life? And all, Jesus gets all the credit and all the glory, all right? It all goes to him. But he works through people who say yes, and people are obedient, even when you're walking up a mountain and you don't know where, it, where it's going totally. And so this, is, this man and his wife, Allie, um, they're, they're an example of this is what marriage looks like, this is what faith looks like, this is what obedience looks like, this is what a man looks like when he's in love with God's word. And I wanna be like him, all right? Um, so up here with me uh, right now is our lead team. Uh, so we uh, have been trusted to not screw up this church. That's our job. And, uh, and uh, most of the time, we do OK. Um, but not only do we do ministry together, we also do life together. These are three of my, my best, uh, closest friends. Um, so we have a couple things for you, Scott, because uh, you're not going to forget us, because uh, we're going to just pop up at the creepiest times in your life. And, uh, but uh, Paul Bruner uh, is our executive pastor. We usually don't allow him to speak in public. Uh, some of you know him, and he's like, but we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to let him talk, and I, I'm so sorry for what he's about to say. Well, Scott, as you head off to a new team, buddy, um, what do you always tell people when, when they either are up here preaching or they're going to do something? What do you tell them? Don't suck. Don't suck. So as you head off to this new team, what I want to remind you, I'm going to give you this as a means of telling you not, not to suck, right? And the hope is that if you do suck, maybe you'll come back here someday, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Come on. It's funny. Love you, love you, so, buddy, uh, a couple weeks ago, we got together with the staff, and we just asked them to, to in one word, just describe Scott Nickel and what, what you've meant and some attributes of you and some words that are up here, words like courageous and um, passionate and committed and pastor and teacher, um, and the one word for me. Um, over the past 11 years as friend, man, I've been so honored that you have been, you've called me friend and I can get to call you friend and I'm, and I'm gonna miss you. And if you don't come back, I'll punch you in the throat. Um, so here's how we're going to close the service again at all of our campuses that are listening in. So I'm asking you to stand up and we're going to do something. If you're here for the first time going, do I always do this? No. So uh, back, uh, a lot of times throughout uh, the, the history of the church, a lot of times when you want to give somebody a blessing, you either lay your hands on them or just put your hand in their direction, okay? We're, we're not sending positive energy from the universe. We're not that church, okay? Uh, uh, we're just, uh, it's a blessing. And so if you feel comfortable doing this, again, even if you're on the other end of a camera on the other side of the city, just put your hand towards Scott and Allie right now, and we're going to bless them. And then when I say amen, give it up for them one last time, and then the service is over. The last few times people have been like, do, do we go home now? I don't know. Uh, so we're just going to bless uh, Scott and Allie. So God, um, I thank you for my friend, Scott. Um, uh, I go back to the first words of your word that he quoted today that started with this word, oh. And I just say, oh, God, thank you for the grace of, of loaning to him, us, uh, him to us for just these, these last 11 years, teaching us, letting your glory shine through him, pointing towards 
ultimate things, which is your son Jesus. God, I thank you for their marriage. I, I ask protection and grace for them as they, as they go on this journey together. It's tough, it's painful. The one thing he doesn't have to be sorry for is his obedience to you. And again, he's a, champ, he's a hero in, in, in my book. I just, I just pray that you would continue what you've already started in him, that you would, you would take this, this gospel message that no matter who you are or what you've done or what has been done to you, it's not too late for anyone. God does not hate you, he loves you. And through Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, all things are still possible. I pray that he would take that message to, back to Kentucky, to the ends of the earth. Um, God, it would be great. Uh, to, to see him stand on this stage uh, in the future to, to update us on what God's doing in his life um, because this is home and he's our brother and our friend. And we thank you for Scott and Allie Nickel. So bless them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Give it up. Later. Love you. Bye. Woo!